A sixth successive Premier League defeat is pushing patience and faith to the limit for Norwich City fans. But could there be light at the end of the tunnel? This is the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast brought to you in association with Future Radio 107.8 FM to look back on a 2-0 defeat. At Everton, Dave Freezer here will bring you parts of our interviews with Tim Krull and Daniel Farker during the pod. But joining us is the one and only Paddy Dabbit, fresh from a long weekend on the road to and from Liverpool. Uh, we survived the petrol crisis, Pad, but we did have problems with dogs at the hotel, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it was a Midlands version of Crofts or whatever, but there was a lot of <laughs> canine uh, action in our hotel. Yeah, six forty-five a.m. Saturday morning. Not not the wake-up call you want. Not the alarm call you really need to have a, uh, <laughs> a rather loud dog in the corridor. And then they seem to be exercising not far from uh, the other side of our windows. So, um, yeah. First world reporter problems, I guess, but uh, yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't the dream, and and as the day panned out, probably set the tone for what we would later to see at Goodison Park. So, um, yeah, not good. I don't know about free. You said fresh. I think I've had about five hours. Kip, uh, we're recording this Sunday morning, so um, yeah, late one. Watched uh, watched listen to the Joshua fight, so yeah. you know that that got us towards Suffolk and then into Norfolk. So. Uh, uh, Defeat seems to be the theme of the weekend, isn't it? Defeat for, uh, uh, well, defeat for Joshua, deservedly. I think everybody would agree, whether you're a boxing fan or not. And probably defeat deservedly for Norwich overall. Um, yet again, individual errors um, and not enough sort of punch at the right end of the pitch for all reasonably competent possession spells. Um same as Watford, same as Leicester, same as Arsenal, same old, same old, and the same end result, which is no points on the board. And um, as you say, more agitation and frustration. And uh, who do you want to go next? Burnley away, roll on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, can't wait. I think our biggest victory of the weekend, we did have at least one, didn't we? Because we were apprehensive about all this petrol stuff. We, we managed to fill up in Norwich before we left, but obviously we weren't 100% sure whether we kept back, were we? And we pulled into the services on the M6 at, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock on, on Saturday night to get some food. Went round to the petrol station, almost no one there on the forecourt and they were selling petrol. So we knew we could get home. So uh, we survived that one. But uh, yeah, it's been, been a strange weekend. But I think I, I sort of teed it up in the, in the intro there a bit, really, Pad, that this is really tough now for fans, isn't it? You know, we've, we've heard some some pretty strident interviews from Farker, from Krull, which will bring you um, bring the listeners in a little while. And Matthias Norman's done some good stuff as well with the club, hasn't he? The, clearly, the message coming out of the dressing room, probably during the week and directly after this game, is that, that they are certainly banging the drum in terms of belief, that they think they are going to turn this corner. And I know they do. They've got to say these things, but... They, to me, they sounded pretty convincing. And and I think from the positives of this performance, it, if if this had been the first game of the season and they'd lost 2-0 at Everton in this style with the positives, I think everybody would be saying, well, there's, there's plenty to cling on to here. Hopefully that things will click. But the fact that it's, well, seven defeats in eight, if you include the cup games, but six certainly in the league. And of course, 16 overall in the Premier League, if you want to sort of keep harking on to that. I won't go into all those sort of, bad records and stuff because it was quite a dark pod last week wasn't it after Watford so we'll try and keep this one keep this one a little bit lighter because my point is really that 
this is a real challenge for fans to keep the faith, to listen to those positive comments and, and encouraging comments, because looking at the table and particularly seeing Watford and Brentford getting draws, Brentford in style against Liverpool and both in mid-table, it is so difficult to keep the faith at the moment. Yeah, and, and that's that's the point I was going to make, is it's been amplified by Brentford and to a lesser extent Watford, two of the other newly promoted teams, and the way they've managed to adapt. You know, Brentford fell behind twice to Liverpool Saturday evening and yet walked off the pitch with a point. Even Jurgen Klopp was prepared to admit they deserved. Just had a look at the league table before we started recording. Nine points from six games. Um, two wins, I think. Um, uh, and Watford, similar. Seven points from nine games. Um, and if you go back to two seasons ago, Sheffield United adapted superbly. OK, we all know where they are now, back in the Championship, which maybe underlines we shouldn't be saying the die is already cast and and, and it, Norwich is set for the same outcome as two seasons ago. But it, in in a in a quest for points and for some sense of forward momentum, which, of course, they would have come out of the Championship. They won the title on both these occasions. Need we need to remind anybody, record points total for Norwich. All that momentum is sadly jarred, jarred to a, a grinding halt. And uh, and yet, as they look to their left and their right, Watford and Brentford have gone speeding past, and um, and that isn't helping the whatever the you know the internal sort of discussion around Norwich is. Um, the fact that these other clubs have come out of the same division, faced the same challenges in terms of what they needed to do recruitment wise in in the summer, um, trying to bridge the gap. Um, Obviously, not like for like in terms of ownership models. So, you know, there are differences between all three clubs. But, you know, ultimately, at this still relatively early stage, both of those look to have, have grasped what the Premier League is all about and what they need to be able to produce from game to game to get results. And Norwich, singularly, uh, as they did two seasons ago, are failing on that on that measure. So, that that is that is definitely one factor. Um, and then the other factor, yeah, I don't necessarily like this stitching together back end of last Premier League season and this one to sort of extrapolate that Farker is the worst Premier League manager ever because he's now 16, 17 games without a win. Um, Because in between was, as I say, a record-breaking championship title win and a huge turnover to the squad. So I I don't think that, that is fair. But what is the case from mainly the second part of the, the previous Premier League season. And this one is that sense that on the pitch and off the pitch, they're just not good enough, that they, they're not able to put elements together to, to get points, to get results, to get wins and draws. And that feeling is very much the same as two seasons ago. That sense of we're just not competitive, you know, um, it doesn't matter what we do uh, or how well we play within periods of games when the final whistle sounds, then invariably walking off the pitch having been beaten in the Premier League. So I think those two things for me, it's kind of that feeling that it's deja vu and here we go again um, because they're not showing us enough that it is going to be different this time around. And also magnified by the way Brentford and Watford have started. Those two really processes uh, for me are driving a lot of this Frustration and and again, all I would say is, you know, we we probably take a lot of our temp or, or, or the temperature from social media. You know, not every Norwich fan is on social media. You know, the demographics of, of a lot of the seating holders who go to Car Road every other week, I'm sure, would suggest that they're not 
you know, rabidly on social media immediately after games or in the build-up to games. So, it, you know, you always have to take a step back and, and not attribute whatever the feelings are on social media or, or pockets of social media it speaks for the whole Norwich fan base. There are still, I'm sure, plenty of fans willing to give this time, willing to see new players bed in, you know, willing to buy into Farker can turn this around. Um, so I think, you know, that's worth stressing that it, you know, really since the final whistle last night, if, if anybody's been on social media, then, you know, you wouldn't probably have that view that there is, there is a willingness to give Farker the time to turn it around um, and, and, and build on positivity yet, but, but not enough productivity. So, where do we go from here? Essentially, you know, all the talking in the world isn't going to make any difference or people's opinions isn't going to make any difference. It's going to be what happens in those 90 minutes at Turf Moor this coming Saturday. Uh, and worth reiterating, this is the final game before the next international break. If Norwich walk off that pitch on Saturday evening and it's seven games without a win, seven games without a point, then... I dread to think what the, the fortnight's going to be like leading into the Brighton game, which is obviously the next Car Road home fixture. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say um, nice and early in the pod as well. I apologise if I sound a bit like Barry White today. It wasn't from shouting at the players at Goodison Park, but uh, I think uh, the Lurgy has got into the, the freezer household. So uh, no no signs of COVID or anything, thankfully. So um, cup of tea on standby. I'll try and keep the keep the throat lubricated throughout. Um, but let me put my yellow and green tinted glasses on, Pad, and and try and look at this um, in a positive light. It feels like a long, dark tunnel at the moment. It, th- this has been hard. It's difficult for people to cope with. And as you say, social media is an angry place at the moment, to the point where the responses to our tweets and things from the Pinkin account, you're just getting sort of people venting in response. So, you know, we put out the Tim Krull quotes this morning and you're just getting angry little um, nonsensical responses, really. People just venting towards, you know, Tim Krull dares to say, stick with us, keep the faith, keep belief. That's what he's got to do, isn't he? But people just don't want to hear it at times like this. If, big if, massive if at the moment, if they can fulfil those words of Norman, of Krull, of Farker, and turn this around, get that win either at Burnley or Brighton or whatever, turn the tables, because they're only three points off 17th at the moment. It is still early, as much as it feels difficult at the moment. If they manage to turn this around, what's the phrase? The uh, the sweet is never as sweet without the sour. If they were to click and have a, a decent season from here on, it's going to be incredibly satisfying, isn't it? Well, um, I'm sure if that scenario pans out, probably when... When in that scenario, safety would be secured, you can probably bet your bottom dollar. Farker would turn around and say that this spell was his toughest in the job because you know questions are now being asked very loudly about his ability to manage at Premier League level to to put a team on the pitch which reflect his ideology and in his footballing philosophy, but also have the pragmatism um, and and then the attributes which. We're not seeing enough of the aggression, the intensity, the athleticism, which certainly that last point Stuart Webber highlighted when they came out of the Premier League two seasons ago was something they missed badly and needed to address in any subsequent recruitment if they were ever to get back to the Premier League. Well, they got back to the Premier League um, and I'm not seeing enough of, of those attributes. And, you know, 
without that intensity and energy and, and drive to their play, allied to wanting to control possession and um, and move teams around and create openings that way, then they're just too lightweight. They're, they're just going to get brushed off. I mean, Burnley is, as I say, the worst <laughs> type of opponent who you'd want to go to if there's any soft underbelly because guaranteed we'll, we'll get in public Sean Dyche talking up, um, you know, Norwich's model and 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 how 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 much he admires it. I'm sure I'm paraphrasing, but I can I can almost hear the man now. And you know the 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 faith they've shown in Daniel Farker because it probably in that respect echoes you know the longevity Sean Dyche has had at Turf Moor. But in private, all this coming week, what's he going to be saying to his players? Get into these, intimidate them, um, be aggressive, be in their face, um, because on the evidence of this season. That's a route to get the better of this Norwich side. I mean, Benitez yesterday uh, just had a look at his post-match quotes. He said Norwich are a good football inside, but if we showed the right uh, levels of aggression and intensity in the middle of the park, particularly, um, he felt that that would counteract what what Norwich could offer, and two 0 win would indicate he was right. So, um, but yes, you know, if, if we're sat here in nine months' time and uh, Norwich are, are preparing for another season in the Premier League, then Daniel Farker will have, will will have for me, underlined his status as probably one of, if not the best manager they've had. But right now, that seems a long way away. And, and if they don't get a result this Saturday, and heaven forbid, you know, the, the pressure mounts during the international break and then Brighton come to Car Road and win, you do fear that that, that kind of social media discourse will play out on a much wider scale in real Carra Road time atmosphere. And, you know, if it's 25,000 uh, voicing their displeasure, then it be get, begins to get to a situation where, you know, it'll be in, in interest of all parties to make the change. And, uh, and then, sadly, Daniel Farker's spell at Norwich will always be tainted with, well, brilliant manager at championship level, could, could, could quite easily put a team on the pitch to play attractive football, which was also winning football at that level. But sadly, Premier League proved beyond him. And, and that would be a sad ep- epitaph to, uh, for that man, given what he has constructed with Stuart Webber in a very challenging environment in terms of the financial situation they inherited. So, yeah, you do hope on a personal human level that the man can turn it around. Um, and, and I can kind of, to go back to your previous point, DF, I can kind of see where, you know, fans maybe don't want to hear it in a minute, but you can kind of see where Krull and Norman and Farker himself are coming from because it doesn't feel they're that far away. But but how many more games do we have to hear? We're not very far away. We we feel the tipping point is is on the cusp of, of happening because ultimately every game that passes by is it just the goal difference takes a bigger hit. The, the, the points gap, which, as you say, to that clump of clubs at the bottom is... More than manageable at the minute, but with each passing passing game, they don't pick up a point, and the teams around them do start to get some go forward momentum. Then, you know, you, you you're going to be rapidly in a situation approaching Christmas where the game is probably already up, and and then it's it's sadly built rebuilding again for another season in the championship, and uh, and that would be a very sour outcome because ultimately, if that is the case, then Farker won't be here, I don't think, and and and. There may be question marks around, you know, Stuart Webber. There's still that contractual status regarding him that's not resolved yet in terms of where he is beyond the next summer, uh, 22. So, you know, all that kind of thing that he pushed, he himself pushed to the background. It's not an issue. If it was, we'd be dealing with it, we'd be addressing it. Sadly, it will come firmly into the forefront if 
you know, things continue on this path and, and Norwich have had to make a change in terms of their head coach. So um, it's hard to say keep the faith and, and, and I'm not surprised that Tim Krull's quotes have probably had a negative reaction because there is that that feeling that we keep hearing this, but then we look at how Norwich play on a Saturday and, and it's more of the same. So ultimately, talk is cheap. This is the cliche, talk is cheap. And and it'll it'll only turn now, essentially, by what those players and Farker and his coaches can produce on the pitch and, and not produce in terms of look at the possession they had, look at the control they had of a game, look at you know how they moved Everton around and none of that will matter. It'll be, you know, what was the result at the end of the day? What was the result against Burnley? What was the result against Brighton? And if it's more of the same, then expect the reaction to be more of the same, but also to intensify in terms of the frustration levels and the and the sense that, you know, maybe it's time to begin a new chapter. Yeah. And, you know, it'd be easy for players particularly to throw their toys out of the pram and say, oh, I don't want to do the media and we don't get any interviews. That isn't the case. Tim still came out and his usual sort of... Uh, frank but positive self and as part of his interviews he kept acknowledging that he knows that fans don't want to hear it at the moment but that you know that is where their mindset is we'll come back to the Burnley game but it, during the second half of the pod but there is no doubt that if they were to lose again make it seven on the spin then that international break is going to be incredibly uncomfortable and following on from what you're saying there as I said in the pod after the Watford game I, I I still think the vast majority of Norwich supporters really hope that isn't where it ends up that Farker goes and certainly Weber the same because there's such a great deal of affection for them and still for a great deal of the squad I know there's new bonds that need to be forged as well with some of the new players and stuff and it is sort of almost a transitional time at the moment but yeah it that international break, knowing that Brighton at home, who let's not forget, could go top on Monday night if they if they beat Palace Monday night their derby game, they go top of the Premier League. Um, they have had a very good start to the season. If Norwich have gone into the international break with seven successive defeats, knowing that they've got a tinderbox basically waiting for them at Carrow Road, where if they don't get anything against Brighton, things are, are going to turn ugly. Unfortunately, then yeah, at, at the very least, there are going to be some high-level crisis talks at Carrow Road, aren't there? There's going to be board meetings. There's going to have to be a decision on, on what comes next because it will be pretty grim at that point. But we'll come back to Burnley later. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of the game. Since the last pod, there was also the Liverpool Cup game Tuesday night, of course, when Daniel switched to a 3-5-2. He stuck with that for the league. Um, I suppose we don't need to go too much over the Liverpool game, but I think... Well, maybe just speaking for myself rather than than the general um, feeling was that it, it seemed to work. And it feels to me that like at, at this stage, although it's perhaps negating Jolis and, and Rashitza and Campbell when he comes back and Dow, some of the attacking assets at the moment, that it makes sense to be going with that in the league and that Gibson, Hanley and Kabak now need a bit of time to really build on that three at the back and then if they can start grinding out some points a clean sheet would be like gold dust at the moment wouldn't it and then find the way to get the attacking really flowing then what, what do you make of the three at the back yeah I, I think that is the way to go for now um a little bit harsh on Obama daily he's not really done anything wrong to to be moved out of the equation but it's it's trying to lessen the sort of in this scenario the the, the variables that that you can almost control if you're Farker and you would like to think if you're him that 
I'll go with my, well, certainly the two most experienced players in terms of his championship title winning double acting, Gibson and Anley. And then Quebec, who, who has the pedigree of having operated, you know, at a higher level than maybe any of the other Norwich centre-backs played, obviously, with Liverpool on loan last season, played in the Champions League for them. Uh, played in the Bundesliga as well, despite his relatively young age. You know, he, he is he's, he's far more experienced than an Omabama daily, that's for sure. And um, and obviously the, the evidence, a lot of, a lot of this, whether we're discussing centre-backs, whether we're discussing performances, a lot of this is what you feel when you're seeing these things. But then obviously the end result, because ultimately everything has to be filtered through the end result. And these last two games with a three, they've shipped three against Liverpool and two against Everton. But if you sort of analyse, you know, the manner of the goals, I don't think that was really a result of the shape or or, or even really so, so much, you know, the, the the way they've set about it or the personnel. I mean, you, you know, again, obviously Hanley, Liverpool, individual errors there again, very similar to Watford. But first goal for Liverpool the other night, a corner. Well, you know, doesn't matter what shape you play, if you can't defend corners or set pieces, then then you are going to leak goals. And Kabak makes an error. A little bit harsh the way Alan's gone over uh, for the first goal on Saturday. You know, a penalty that was basically overturned in terms of the referee's on-pitch decision with a a VAR interlude and then a pitch side review. But again, you know, you don't. You could say Kabak doesn't have to try and make that type of challenge, and when he does, uh, the outcome's probably inevitable. But but overall, I thought you know there was signs that he offers airily a bit more defensive protection uh, and I liked you know his confidence to play out on one or two mm. occasions and I, and I think you're right I think is there any point now in chopping and changing because you're never going to find any relative seam of consistency now whether these players are good enough for Premier League level that's a different debate but certainly we will only find out if they get a, a run of games together to build up that type of understanding uh, and obviously allied with Krull behind them, and as it seems at the minute, Williams and Aarons as as wing backs, and and I think that is always part of this debate moving forward. That it's the the two wing backs and how they operate. You know, I thought second half they they pushed a lot higher, whether they were told to push a lot higher, and and offered more of a, an attacking threat width for those central midfielders, and also a little bit more of that support which was maybe lacking to Sargent and the uh, and Puki and. As a unit, I thought they looked a lot better in the second half uh, against Everton, and that would be cause for optimism. But as I say, ultimately, what happens in that second half? They, they, they're not able to find a way past Pickford, and then Kenny McLean stumbles on the ball. Lise Malou doesn't haul down Damari Gray and bang another counter, bang another goal. So, my point proven. You know, you could come away from that second half, particularly thinking, yeah, I can see what he's trying to do, I can see the shape. I can even see some of the personnel maybe fitting this system a little bit better in terms of the defensive setup. But if your central midfielder falls over and your other central midfielder isn't able to sort of halt Damari Gray, then ultimately, you know, it's a fairly academic debate about whether we should play free at the back or not, or whether Norwich should play free at the back. So for me, yeah, you persist with those three, um, with those two wing backs and Cruel, and you just hope that that unit. Um, over the next period of games uh, proves what Farker hopes is the case, that they are his best defensive options and that is the best system to harness them in. But that's only one part of the equation. You know, what that showed in the first half when the wing-backs weren't playing quite as aggressively is that the isolation Pookie and Sargent um, felt 
you know, you lose something maybe in terms of the attacking element if that system it becomes more of a five with the two wing backs getting pinned than a, a three with two more aggressively minded, progressive wide players. So, you know, ultimately, I, I would like to try and accommodate a system that gets a bit more game time for Jolis and Rashica because you just think with their pace and directness that they 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 will offer something. And of course, we're not player we've not even discussed here and wasn't available yesterday, but Todd Cantwell, where does he fit into this equation as well? Um, by no means is going three at the back going to solve all the problems, but as Daniel said, after the Watford game, the priority now is they have to be far better in terms of keeping goals out, and it's almost like that is now the priority. Try and get a solid platform defensively, and once you've got that, hopefully, then maybe you can turn his attention to how do you tweak the attacking end of this system to, to to offer a bit more productivity and a bit more support if it is Pookie, if it is Sargent. So it just feels like at the minute the focus has to tilt to the back end of the pitch and um, and whether Everton marked a start or not then depends where you sit on the fence. But uh, I think there's no doubt those three, Kabak, Hanley, Gibson, are the way he probably will go for Burnley and and depending on how they go there, but also at, uh, Brighton on the other side of the international break. And um, ultimately then, if Farker's going with those, it's for those players to step up and um, and prove that they deserve, you know, to be in that side and deserve to be at this level because there's still huge question marks for me against Hanley and Gibson. They haven't proven themselves in their previous career postings or, or in Hanley's case, when he was with Norwich in the Premier League two seasons ago, that they are Premier League performers on a consistent basis so there's huge question marks against them and of course Kabak had a little taste of it with Liverpool but he's he still has to prove he's good enough at this level so you know one part of this equation is Farker showing his trust but then those players have to repay that trust and then prove through their performance levels that yes they are Premier League quality and, and I guess that will become clear in the, in the game's head. Yeah i I think the back three seats Hanley nicely and being the middle of, of the three, you know, you can almost be the more of the blunt object, which is the stuff that he can do well. Kabak, hopefully there's more to come. I, I think him and Norman have both shown that they are uh, an upgrading quality in terms of they are good signings, but obviously he ended up having a bit of a difficult day, but there were good moments. And Gibson for the second goal, he's too narrow, isn't he? It's the, um, just his positional instinct, I guess. He was almost playing as a traditional centre-back when he needed to hold a bit further to the left and then he probably would have blocked Decore because Williams was playing, as you say, as more of an attacking wing-back at that point. So you can't really blame Williams after McLean. I don't really know how he managed to cough up possession so cheaply and, and at least Malou should at least concede the foul at that point. But I did feel from from the first minute generally on Saturday that they were getting their foot in a bit more and that they were a little bit more rugged. Um, they'll need to amp that up even more against Burnley, of course. But um, there, there were some signs to cling on to. Um, right, before, we'll come on to sort of the positives and, and, and Norman's performance and stuff um, in part two. But this seems like a good uh, good time to break off and bring you firstly Daniel Farker's chat with Paddy and then Tim Krull's chat with myself after the game. It's just important that we find our momentum, uh, hopefully then then quicker than um, um, than later. And for that, yeah, we will keep going. But also with this attitude and also this mindset to be compact like like today, but also brave 
to be good in possession like we did then for minute 20, 25 on to press opponents high. And um, yeah, we need a good training week right now and make sure that perhaps even uh, before the international game, uh, next international break, we are off the mark, would help a lot. But if not, then we would even come uh, go uh, after that. So we will keep going and we won't uh, won't let the negativity come in and we'll uh, stick to uh, to, uh, to uh, backing our uh, our lads. That's what we will do. And um, if we if we go on also with this mentality today, I think uh, there will be many games where we will win points. At the end of the day, we're all professionals. You know, we all know we want to stay up in this league. This is where we want to be. We knew it was going to be hard. But like I said, we, we believe uh, as, a, as a team, we're, we're proving it day in, day out in training. But on the Saturday is where it's counted. And, and this is where it's unforgiven, this league. I've mentioned this before two years ago. And, and we, need to, yeah, we need to grow up as a, as a team quickly and gel. Uh, again, there's a lot of positives there, but we need to just uh, hold on to them. As okay. sort of leaders in the group, guys like yourself mm. and, and Ben and, and Grant and stuff, who've been around for a yeah. while. How do you sort of strike that balance of keeping confidence up? Is it a case of sort of making sure the banter and stuff is still there, but making sure that everyone's fully focused? So that balance. It's showing it on a Saturday. I think for me, confidence is showing your own performance first. That's the thing I think with a, when, you're, when you're down there, you need to just look after yourself first and then obviously show your experience to the younger ones or the new players who haven't been there before. But I think um, a leadership, you, you show day in, day out that you're, you're up for the fight. And I think we need a team who... The 11 who play, um, they need to be up for a hard, hard run. And Burnley away is, is going to be a, a physical, uh, horrible game. We all know that. And we need to be ready for that challenge. Uh, but I do think we are. Um, I just, uh, like I said, at the end of the day, we need results to, to, to prove that. Does the back three change much for you in terms of the distribution? In terms of if you've got another body in front of you? Or is it fairly simple? No, our philosophy is obviously what it is. And, and like I said, I've... I don't think it's been tactically the, the, the problems for us. I really don't think so. And it's been, like I mentioned, individual mistakes. We had a little bit too many over the last few weeks. And um, I think we, we got out today most of the time. Um, yeah, like I said, it hasn't fallen for us. And it's, it's hard to, uh, to stand here and obviously uh, talk about a lot of positives when you've lost again. Yeah, it is. The away fans, though, at half-time I thought was a nice moment. They, yeah. were, they could appreciate that yeah. you were making yeah. progress. And, yeah. and at full-time it's in decent yeah. session as well. Totally. And I think that's what... They know what we're about. We know that we are a new team. And, and I think, that, like you say, to walk off at half-time and having 2,000 Norwich fans uh, clapping, it gives you a massive boost. And I think when we came out the second half, we showed um, that, that we had this belief to turn it around. And we're that close. And it just... We will fight. We'll keep fighting for the batch. And, and, and that's the big thing, I think. And just finally then on Burnley yeah. I mean, they actually haven't got a great home record which is a bit surprising right. for most yeah. people isn't it but you've got, you obviously know what, what they're all about in terms yeah. of the sort of pressure that you're going to yeah. going to come under do you think that's the sort of game where that sort of football that you've played if you can get around them that you can have some joy there well yeah we know two years ago, two years ago we, we just beat Man City and then we went to Burnley yeah. thinking uh, it was going to be a nice possession based uh, match and it didn't so that's the experience we need to show next, next week that it's going to be rough and, and we know that and we need to be physical and ready for the fight because they will chuck yeah, a lot of lot of physical yeah. uh, forward and uh, but again yeah if we can fight or play around that then we I think there will be a lot of chances for us thanks Tim no problem welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City Podcast. 
From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Okay, so Everton were okay for most of the first half, but once they got the goal, they, they seemed to they seemed to back off a little bit. And I, I think they thought they would be comfortable through to half time. And then Norwich got into the ascendancy, didn't they? That there was the first Pickford save from from Norman Shot, which was maybe just creeping in, or it might have hit the post. It's difficult to, to see. I've seen a few different angles. But the the nice moment I thought was at half time, the, the players, the Norwich players had to walk past the 1600 away fans to the other tunnel because the players were coming out of two different tunnels, weren't they? And there was a really good reception. And again, when they came out for the second half, the, the away fans seemed to be pretty encouraged. And then that first phase of the second half, Norman again tests Pickford with a with a swerving shot. There were there were lots of positives in there, weren't there? And, and Ben Gibson's header. I don't. Well, he was absolutely devastated, wasn't he? That he hadn't managed to score. Yeah, I mean, and you can only think that basically that was McLean pretty much tight to the byline um, between sort of the perimeter of the pitch and the eighteen yard line, and and has whipped in a ball, so it's pretty much arcing across the six yard box and. The only thing you can think of is that just in front of Ben Gibson was Yeri Mina, who's, who's jumped up and either got a little touch or just proved enough of a distraction that Gibson, I don't know, but uh, maybe he needed a forward in that position with the instinct to go and meet the ball. But um, but really, you know, and, and ultimately, this sort of feeling of tension between what we've seen in performance levels not in the whole of the game, clearly, but in, in large parts of games. But then the lack of positive result at the end of it, what does that boil down to? It basically boils down to, in those moments, like that one with Ben Gibson, like some of Matt, Matthias Norman's digs, goals change games. And, and goals have changed games in to the detriment of Norwich so far. You know, the Watford game, I'll, I'll go back to that. Classic example, Norwich are on top. Watford score out of nothing. Uh, Norwich get themselves back in the game. On top again early in that second half at Cairo. Watford just score from a Norwich corner. Counter. Um, and then that's it. Norwich get rocked back. Try to rouse themselves, but get hit again with a sucker punch. And, and goals, to, to paraphrase what Daniel Farker says, goals do change games. You know, if Norwich go in at nil-nil last yesterday, it's all ifs, buts, maybes. But, you know, that crowd... I'm sure would have turned because as Benny has acknowledged after the game, those type of games, if you're Everton, are difficult because the expectation is if you're an Everton fan, we're turning up here, it's three points, it's only Norwich. We're going to turn them over today. So if Norwich go in at nil-nil and then start in the manner they did start in the second half, you can be sure the home fans would not would have been quick to get on the case of those players and Benitez, given they were coming off the back of two poor results as well. Um, and of course, then if, if one of those Norman early digs goes in and Norwich get their noses in front, that only gets amplified, and and then you you find it's a completely different mindset. Of course, Norwich's players would have would have had such a surge in confidence. You'd have seen them puff their chests out and and, and play even with more freedom and, and ambition. And um, you know, but everything I've just mapped out there in the last minute and a half is is hypothetical, and it it's predicated on Norwich scoring when they're on top. And singularly thus far, that is something Norwich have failed to do, and as a result. It's 1-0, it's 1-0, it's 1-0. Farker makes a double change, throws on Jolis, throws on Rashica, and then Kenny McLean stands on the ball, and it's 2-0, and then it's game over. So, um, you know, that's the frustration, that it's the same things happening 
be it individual mistakes, be it just a lack of killer edge in the final third, um, week in, week out. And if you keep seeing the same things happening, then it is no wonder there is a frustration building. How big that is, how widespread it is, we, we don't know. We don't know. We, As I say, we, we'll probably get the first sense of it, I think, really. If they don't get anything against Burnley, when when Brighton pitch up at Carrow Road, that'll probably be the first real, if you like, um, court of public opinion because you know social media is one 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 forum, of course. But uh, 5,000 of them home fans at Carrow Road, you can't really ignore what the what, what the reaction might be there in terms of how it represents maybe the wider Norwich fan base. But yeah, ultimately, Matthias Norman. Was a bright spark, and um, and hopefully that is that is a positive sign of, of things to come if we're looking to cling for positives. Yeah, you go back to Hewton and, and Worthington. Really, it was games at Carrow Road that that really did for them, wasn't it? And Alex Neil ne- never really happened at Carrow Road, did it? Because the home results generally held up reasonably well, but there were the, the Brentford game always sticks in my mind. That was one where Neil had to walk past the away fans to get to the tunnel, and that he got a real bad reception, didn't he? And but on Saturday, I felt like the the vast majority of the away support um, were very supportive at full time. Uh, we're told that there were a few that it turned maybe a little bit negative when Farker went over, but still that the majority were were just applauding and not not you know uh, going for him. So yeah, let's, let's hope it doesn't have to get to all that sort of stuff. Um, Burnley, yeah. <clears throat> pardon me, I, I don't think most people are aware that. They are 13 Premier League home games without a win, which you don't expect from Burnley at all, do you? That has clearly got a long come Norwich written all over it. It's just the classic situation, isn't it? But it shows that they haven't, things haven't been particularly smooth for them. They've had, you know, the off field stuff with the, the ownership. They've only just got Sean Dyche to sign a new contract and they've got um, a few players out of contract. I think Tarkowski is one of them next summer. And we, we were talking about their squad before we started recording, weren't we? And it's the same same players pretty much from, from two years ago when Norwich were playing them. Um, with a couple of additions, well, the, the lad from Stoke, Collins, is is still on the bench because they're still playing Ben Mee and, and Tarkowski. I think Ben Mee has looked like he's over the hill for about two years now. Um, hopefully that's proved right at next weekend. But the new lad they brought in for about 13 million, Maxwell Cornet from um, from a team in France. can't remember which one. Um, I think it was Leon. He scored a really good goal on Saturday. They drew 2-2 at Leicester, partly thanks to a very uh, fortuitous Jamie Vardy own goal who just headed <laughs> under no pressure into his own net. But they also had a very marginal goal ruled out in injury time. Chris Wood was only just offside, which would have been a 3-2 win at Leicester. So we know how difficult we're going to be, don't don't we, Pad? And, and Krull has said in, in that audio we played a little while ago that the game two seasons ago came on the back of the Manchester City win didn't it and everybody was like right well if you play like that against Burnley you'll be fine and then they just bullied Norwich didn't they and so how do you think they can learn from that how do you think they've got to approach that because you can't just go there and expect to play around them and and play nice football basically if you can't stand up to their physical approach then it doesn't matter how well you play because they're capable of just bashing goals past you aren't they yeah, and, and you, as you were talking there, Dave, I've just done, just to re- refresh my memory, yeah, that last league meeting, Premier League, September 2019, Turf Moor, Burnley 2, Norwich 0. Man, you just mentioned there, big barnstorming strapping forward. Chris Wood, 
10th minute, 14th minute, game over. Norwich yeah. got beat 2 0 that day. And one of those, I do recall, in fact, I remember both goals now. One was just a corner. Um, it might have been Westwood, might have been McNeil, but swung underneath Cruel's bar. McLean was supposed to be sweeping at the near post, misses his header. And then Woods, nuisance value, bang. You know, could you get a more Burnley top of goal than scoring direct from a corner? I don't think so. And then the second one, I think Ben Godfrey got bullied, ball cut across the sort of 18 yard box. And there was Wood again, um, out muscling. I think it was Godfrey off the top of my head, but just that pressure, tempo, aggressiveness, edginess, classic Burnley. And then it was too, it was too good for, as you rightly said, a Norwich team who, who rocked up there. Almost, uh, you know, uh, the darlings of the Premier League, a little bit Brentford-esque, dare I say, at the minute, because it was just off the back of that Man City global reaction to that. Um, Farkas a genius for getting the better of Guardiola, this, that, the other. And uh, waiting in, lying in wait was Sean, Sean Deitch, Chris Wood and uh, Braun, Braun over brains or Braun over... Beautiful football probably is a better, better analogy. And uh, it'll be more of the same this weekend and... Yeah, it does sound like maybe they were a little bit unhurt, unlucky not to get the three points, and that would have been their first Premier League win of the season. So we're talking about tipping points and turning points with Norwich. I'm sure Deitch will package that as possibly that ally to, if they get that first win on the board against Norwich this Saturday, that is Burnley season up and running. And uh, yeah, it is a concern because you know we can, we don't need to be UEFA A licensed coaches to know how Burnley will set about the task and how they will set about Norwich. It'll be brutal physicality. Um, and do we feel Norwich have got enough in their locker to withstand that? You'd have to say no at the minute. So you know how Farker circumvents that and and nullifies what Burnley are going to try and offer. Then time will tell. But um, but you have to be very concerned that that if it turns into a game of set pieces that Norwich won't be strong enough. You know, it was it was pretty evident uh, this season already that, you know, they conceded against Liverpool set piece wise. Tim Krull made an excellent save from Ben Godfrey in the closing stages on Saturday. That came from a corner. Michael Keane, who scored previously uh, in the Premier League for Everton from a corner. I remember it in the Project Restart era. Um you know, that underlying vulnerability Norwich exhibit, and we don't need to get into zonal as opposed to man-to-man, but you can just feel now that Deitch will be locked in a room with his analysts and they will be lapping up what they're seeing if they're looking at sort of how Norwich don't defend set pieces properly um, as they try and plot, you know, a tactical plan for this coming Saturday's game. So it's it's... You know, it'd take a brave person to sort of forecast that Norwich can go there and win the game. But, you know, ultimately, they do need to come up with a, a template that it is going to nullify what Burnley will bring to the table. And then if they do that, and that's maybe where a, a Hanley, Kabak and Gibson, certainly Gibson won't lack for motivation. You know, let, yeah. let, let, I'm sure he has been ring, ringing this fixture when the fixtures came out because of his uh, sour two seasons or so under Deitch at Burnley, he will be absolutely desperate to prove Deitch wrong by his performance on this coming Saturday. And if that trio can can deal with what Burnley are going to offer physically, um, then you would think Norwich will get plenty of the possession and, and they will have opportunities to test them at the other end of the pitch. But, you know, it's hard. It's hard at this stage on the evidence of what we've seen in the first six games, to, in the league games, to, to sort of put forward a case that, 
Norwich will be able to both deal with, deal with what Burnley will bring in a in a defensive sense, but also have enough going forward. Um, because for me, they're a little bit too lightweight in both boxes. Yeah, I mean, Josh Sargent could do worse than just study Chris Wood this week, and just he could be very helpful in defending things, but also in how the ball has got to stick. I think either against Liverpool as well, but Sargent yesterday. He really put himself about. He was really trying, but the the ball isn't sticking to either of those two. You know, you think about Grant Holt at his best. He defended that ball like it was his possession. He used all of his strength and whatever, and he bought a lot of fouls as well, didn't he? Quite by protecting the ball, Sergeant isn't quite managing to do that yet, but he's not too far from it. So he could be an important one in terms of the selection. Yeah, Gibson, massive game, and and him, Hanley, and Kabak are without doubt going to be absolutely pivotal to whether Norwich survive the onslaught there. Personally, I think you knew this will probably come in for Williams. I think Williams hasn't taken his chance enough. Um, probably, you know, he did look decent going forward at times on Saturday, but not much in the way of end product. The other only real bone of contention I, I would expect is probably McLean in midfield, but I can't see Daniel dropping McLean for Gilmore or Rupp for this game because of Kenny's aerial ability, because of his experience. And I think he did play better yesterday than he did against Watford, but it was just another big, big, horrible moment for him, just like that awful shank against Watford for for the third goal. So I can't see him changing that. And and up front, yeah, I mean, Pukie and, and Sargent, it, it wasn't brilliant. Pukie equally didn't do enough with the ball, but they weren't getting a great deal of service, if, if we're perfectly honest. And I, I can't see that changing either. So... Yeah, I think he'll stick with the same shape. Maybe just Yanulis coming in for Williams, I could see being the only change. Would you go along? Yeah, yeah I, could, I could see your logic on all of those elements. Yeah, I mean, McLean, because of his height, um, yeah, he probably will get the nod over Rupp and, and Gilmore. It's not going to be his type of game. So, but but by the same token, you know, it, could he have any complaints if he was dipped out because he is making big errors, errors that are contributing to goals and, um, you know, he looked crestfallen at the final whistle. He, he knows yeah. himself. He, he's a very honest pro. He doesn't need telling. He's not performing at the level Parker certainly felt he did two seasons ago when, there we forget, labelled him indispensable. He felt he was the only midfielder who did show that physicality, that athleticism um, that is required at this level routinely. Uh, so, yeah, I, I can I can quite clearly, uh, conceivably see him retaining his place uh, and likewise at the top end of the pitch. Um but ultimately, as you were talking now, what I'm what I'm feeling is it, it just feels and, and we're six, seven games in, but it, it's this getting to know you phase. It's three new players put together in a, a defensive three. It's Sergeant alongside Pookie. That needs time to gel. It's even that midfield three because Norman has been dropped in relatively late in terms of the you know the transfer window. And that is a lot of areas of this lineup that are having to try and learn on the job and and if you're Sergeant and Pookie, you know, how those two like, you know, like like the Pookie and Wendia relationship in the past or even earlier than that, Pookie and Steeperman, you know, almost that telepathy. But that only comes with time. That only comes with playing games. And for Norwich to have it to be almost trying to get this bedding in process while in a live Premier League situation trying to win, win games and put points on the board, it's incredibly tough. Um, it's incredibly tough. And unfortunately, that's the cards that they're playing now. But... Um, you know, is it any wonder that it doesn't feel like it's quite clicking if you're Sergeant and Pookie or, or 
those three at the back are, are still getting to know each other. And even even the wing-backs, you know, like Gibson and his left-sided wing-back, Williams, one game, one and a half games that they've had together, which is a very key relationship on the left-hand side of that, both defensively and going forward, that communication that needs to be there. You know, all these relationships within the team and the team as a whole, it's basically, you know, it's almost throwing the pieces up and hoping that they land and and and, and that, that cohesion starts to come sooner rather than later because I don't think, for all the reasons we've already stated, but I, I, I don't think Farker can, can justifiably think he's going to get 10 or 15 games for Sargent and, and Pukki to develop that understanding or the three defensive mid, uh, defenders or midfielders, for that matter, um, to develop that understanding. It has to be pretty much now, I feel, um, for so many reasons. And, and that's very tough because you're ultimately trying to bed a new team together in certainly by common consent, the, the, the toughest league. I mean, the championship is is always trumpeted as the toughest league. But for me, it, the Premier League is the physicality, the athleticism, but also the intensity and the quality. It's another level completely. Um, and, and unfortunately, that's the environment that Daniel's trying to stitch this new team together. Um, and probably in that context, it's no wonder that as yet results have proved elusive. Yeah. Well, let me spin that around then. You mentioned Campwell a bit earlier, didn't you? He's out for personal reasons at the moment, but it sounds like it won't be too much of a long-term thing. He may even be back in contention ahead of the Burnley game. We'll have to have to see how things go. Could you see any way that Daniel would go more attacking because it's Burnley and because they need to get on the front foot, you know, getting the first goal would be, well, you can say that for, for pretty much any Norwich game, can't you? Even in the championship, getting the first goal is, is so important. If they could get on the front foot, you know, go for the jugular, get in front of this game, it would make a massive difference. Given you've got Campwell, Dowell, Jollis and Rashitza all a little bit fringy at the moment, could you see any way that he decides... Okay, I like the three at the back. We will probably persevere with that, but we've got to go on the attack. We've got to get the goals. We've got to get the win here at Burnley. Um, I mean, and another player as well who's back in training this week, Poheta. He's just sort of the forgotten man, isn't he? I'd be surprised to see him come into contention for, for this one, but he'd maybe be after the international break. But so my point is that there's a lot of attacking assets there. And if you need to get a goal, then maybe they need to get on the front foot. Yeah, point taken. Yeah, I mean, Go back to the Liverpool League Cup game. That was a three, but the two at the top end of the pitch were Zolis and Ida, and 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 the way they played, it was, it wasn't stitching it patiently through midfield. There was a there was a spell of that around sort of the middle part of the first half, but there was also a lot of long ball, you know, and, and not in terms of hopeful punts, but but to try and uh, utilize the pace of a Zolis or an Ida. I'm not saying those two should start ahead of Pukki and Sargent, but that variety that possibly you're calling for there at the top end of the pitch is available to Daniel. Could you go Pukki and a Jolis? Could you go a Sergeant and a Jolis? So you, you're covering your bases a little bit. Um, but they definitely need to mix it up. That is one thing. Because if they if they, if they they turn up as they did at Everton and it's, we'll just pass, 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 um, and we'll just patiently wait and wait, wait, Burnley will just steamroll them. They'll just, they'll just run through them. Mm. They'll, they'll build up a head of steam. Possibly set pieces will be the route, but they will score. And then you're behind in the game again. That horrendous stat when they when they fall behind in, in Premier League games and, and inability to, to claw those back. But no, I, I don't. I don't from the off seeing him going. If you want to put gung ho on the label or going front foot and trying to be that aggressive, I, I see him 
again, focusing on defensive resolution and being solid, but hopefully mixing up a little bit when they do get possession. Because if it's all in front of Burnley and it's lateral passing and trying to move them left to right, the the, the pedestrian way they're sort of playing that game at the minute, it's too easy for certainly a very well-drilled side like Burnley just to shuffle men behind the ball and wait for Norwich to make a mistake, wait for the move to break down. I think they need to be far more aggressive in terms of how they go forward, but I don't see it from the final uh, from the start of the game that they're they're trying to sort of go on the front foot and go all out attack. I, I think he'll be far more circumspect uh, than that. Um, but I would cling to the hope that you know Liverpool showed uh, again, not in terms of that final outcome, but it did show there is a different facet to how Norwich could go about the task in terms of the attacking. It doesn't have to be, for the time being, it looks like it is going to be, but it doesn't have to be just Pookie and Sargent with their back to goal, trying to play up, play defenders uh, and bring others into play. It can be Rashica, Jolis, maybe even Ida, ball over the top uh, and stretch teams. And um, I just hope we start to see a bit more of that variety, really, because, you know, again, for all Norwich's possession, they were very predictable and very ponderous and didn't really work Pickford enough. I mean, the saves he made were essentially from long-range shots. How many opportunities did Norwich carve out when they got, got in the box? To be honest, it was when Jota thought Jolis and Rashica went on and balls did start. Jolis put a tremendous ball across mm, yeah. um, and there was just no takers. And you would you would, you were crying out for a, a Puki or a sergeant to gamble and get themselves across the defender um, because that type of service is... Surely, manner from heaven if you're a team Pukki. But as we know, we've had this debate. That's not really what he's all about. He's, he's more the balls being fed down the sides of defenders for him to run onto, as he demonstrated for his goal against Watford, where it was Norman, quick ball over the top. He's anticipated it, made the perfect run, and he's in on the keeper, composed finish. That is Timu Pukki. So, again, it, going back to my previous point, you know, Jolis getting to the byline, putting balls in, is that necessarily... The, the, the service team with Pookie wants no. So it's that getting to know you element of it all again still. But uh no, to answer your question, not long winded way, but I think I think they'll I think they'll they'll try and be solid defensively from the outset. And what I then hope is that we, we do see a little bit more guile rather than it is the predictable Pookie and Sergeant pairing because I I just think if you're asking those two to try and fend off a Tarkowski, for example, there's only going to be one winner. If balls are getting put into them at chest height, head height, who's going to be who's going to be winning the majority of those duels? And then all that will happen is the ball will come straight back. So um, why not try, try and take away what Burnley's strengths might be in terms of the defensive setup and then probe for maybe opportunities over the top in behind? Because they've certainly got the pace in, in forward areas to actually do that, I think. Yeah, and, and clearly switching to the four two three one after, what is it, the 69th minute, Norman was having a bit of cramp, unfortunately, because he was really influential. I think th- there's a lot of encouraging signs from him. He, he looks like he could be a Premier League player, and he's only really just getting going. Kabak was really walking the line with a second yellow card, wasn't he? So that's why he had to go off. But again, as as we said earlier, there were signs of, of good stuff from him, obviously in with a... Soft penalty, bit un, bit unfortunate, but ultimately, if you swing and miss the ball and kick someone in the thigh in the penalty area, you're living dangerously, aren't you? If that happens to Pookie, I think most Norwich fans would want that as a penalty as well. But if you're being perfectly honest, and Campwell, it's going to be very interesting when he comes back into things because it, it 
it does still feel like he could be such an important player to this team in terms of giving that creative X factor. And it's not been at uh, the start of the season that he would have liked. He hasn't hit the the heights that he did two seasons ago. And um, he was so influential during the second half of last season that there are still plenty of options and it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. If if you are like us making the trip up to the Northwest, uh, another long trip up to the Northwest next weekend, uh, then fair play to you for sort of keeping the faith and and travelling with, with hope because that's what you do as an away fan. You have to cling on, don't you? And just enjoy your day out with your mates because you can't always bank on, on the result. But just finally, Pad, I think, one of the themes that I've I've seen quite a lot, people haven't particularly liked um, Daniel going back to the mention of points and, and targets. Uh, you know, after the Watford game, he said, oh, well, we're just three points short of where we thought we'd be. Um, do you think people are, are reading a bit too literally into what he was saying and that he was just he was talking about it in more of a logical uh, step by step um, layout to their season, to the start, start of the season? Or do you think that? People are justified in wanting to hear a bit more ambition, a bit more motivation, up and at them, a bit of the attitude that Leeds were displaying after promotion last year, really, that they and Sheffield United the year before that, that they weren't afraid of anyone. They were going to go and show a bit of the Burnley um, attitude in terms of we're not scared of anyone. If we have to bash our way through teams, we will. Do you think maybe Norwich just, as much as they're saying a lot of the right things, they haven't actually shown enough of that belief on the pitch that they that they can really knock teams backwards? Yeah, I mean, you know, my mind does go back to when I hear that, it's kind of the Chris Hewton talking up the opposition, essentially. Um, if you're saying, oh, this is going to be tough to go here, go there. We don't really expect to get anything. We're, we're not the favourites. You know, I'm paraphrasing sort of where Daniel's vibe has been at in a lot of these pre- and post-match verdicts so far this season. But it, it's uncannily... Echoing the the Hute in every game felt like Norwich was setting up to play Real Madrid or Barcelona in their pomp, and and Russell Martin actually when Hute eventually departed, um, candidly admitted that you know the players hear those messages as well, and it, it felt like you know the, those players were going out to face Real Madrid and Barcelona in their pomp, and I don't think that's a good mindset in terms of um, you know wanting wanting to go out and express yourselves if you feel already you're on the back foot, even if it's just psychologically or, or just. A, Mentally, um, but you know, with Daniel, I, that to me, that's him just being very honest and, and probably taking us into what him and his coaches, with whiteboards and all sorts of data analysis tools, are doing behind closed doors at Colney. That they clearly have, you know, that's not revolutionary to map out blocks of games and potential points that you can accumulate because ultimately you're trying to get to an end game where 40 is always the, the, the benchmark, probably doesn't take that so much these days, but certainly mid-30s points-wise. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're just methodically looking over the span of a season where you can get your points. And that's fine, I think, internally. I'm not sure, yeah, we need he necessarily on the back of six six defeats to tell us and then through us, obviously, fans that, you know, they're three points behind their target figure because, yeah, I've seen the same sort of comments because essentially what, what are they saying that, they had no chance against Liverpool, Leicester, uh, you know, what Watford to a lesser extent, Everton. Um, that's not really the sort of vibe. I'm sure Thomas Frank isn't putting those messages out. That's for sure. Um, even if he if he felt that, I think he's probably better to to maybe go on the front foot in terms of his public utterances. And and you know he's he's been very good at that down the years in terms of 
rallying cries and, and getting fans on side and, and, and some of his phraseology and, and the colour that he that he depicts and the, the pictures that he paints. Um he, he's definitely not a, a walking cliche. You wouldn't you wouldn't attach that label to him as some of his predecessors have been in the Norwich job. But by the same token, you know, maybe he just needs to take a step back and, and realise now in the situation he's in now and and how there is that fractious element and and that disconnect to a degree with some fans clearly already that maybe, you know, he needs to be a bit more careful with the messaging, but ultimately, you know, I don't think he's he's telling us anything revelatory. I I think if you looked at Norwich's first six or seven games, the one that we all thought they probably could win, should win, needed to win was Watford and and anything else from the other games maybe was a bonus. Um, You know, we don't need to go back over the level of opposition they've had to face. But for me, um, really, any game, every game has to be an opportunity to get, get points in this division, whether it's Liverpool, Man City, whether it's Burnley or Watford. So, um, yeah, I, I'd like him to be, a, in this in that regard, um, when asked, as you will be again, about Sean Dyche and Burnley this weekend, you know, maybe you can, you can, you can, you can acknowledge what an excellent job he's done there, but, but then surely it's about, but we back ourselves to go there we think we've got good enough players and we can set ourselves out in a way that we can get points. We're good enough to go there and get points. I'd far rather, I think, see those type of messages than, well, it's going to be tough again and if we get anything, it's a bonus kind of vibe. Top stuff. Thanks, Pad. Thank you very much for listening. We'll call it there. Hopefully that's helped clear the air a little bit. Maybe even just get a little bit of a sight of that light at the end of the tunnel but who knows we'll see what happens at Burnley we'll have all the usual build up and all the usual content throughout the week in the EDP and in the evening news and at pinkman.com of course if you're not already subscribed to the podcast then please do and head over to the Pinkman YouTube channel as well but for now it's on to Burnley back to the Northwest next week thank you very much for listening and we'll catch up with you soon